please take your copy of God's Word, or if you have uh, your phone, or, well, you, you know what? Why not um, today, to limit distractions, if, if you're concerned about, um, about your phone going off, or if you're tempted to go on your phone uh, on Facebook, it's so easy just being at home to, to just mindlessly just pick it up and start looking at it. And so what I'm going to ask is right now, go and get your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 34, and, and try to eliminate as many of those distractions as possible. So go ahead and, and if you have to, put your animals in the other room or in your bedroom so that way they don't bark and disrupt this time of worship, please go ahead and do that. But we're, we're in Luke chapter 12, verses uh, 1 through 34. And so this morning, what we are seeing is, is Jesus is giving a sermon of his own, actually. And by all standards of, of our world, what it looks like is that this is a successful turnout. Jesus' campaign manager did it. He brought in thousands of people to the point that they're starting to trample on one another. All Jesus has to do at this point is just capture the attention of this crowd through a, a moving and uh, inspiring uh, a sermon. And so what we're going to see are some of the points that Jesus is teaching on here. Some of these points are are points that you just would not expect. You see, Jesus first starts his sermon off with confronting his hypocrisy. He then moves on to hell. And then after that, con says that, that we are to only confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then moving on to that, that earthly riches will never bring you pleasure. And then finishes with an encouragement by saying, if you want a heavenly treasure, you must give your earthly riches. And so what I want to do is boil this down to, to two main points for us. What we see Jesus' sermon is all about is about hypocrisy and discipleship. And so what I would like to do is read this passage for us, pray, and then unpack this passage, asking the question, am I a hypocrite or a disciple. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says this, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. 
But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store up my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up for treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. Heavenly Father, would you please use this passage to encourage our hearts? Would you please use this, this time that is honoring to you? Would you please peel back the layers of our hearts and show us where our hypocrisy is? And would you please encourage us with your word to pursue greater discipleship, pursue a greater Christian life?
Father, would you please continue to encourage us? Would you lift us up on wings like eagles? Pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. When I was home from college, there was one sure consistency or rhythm in my life that, that I took up, and that was playing pickup basketball. I would play pickup basketball at least three to four times a week. I would, I would try to go anywhere that I could to play, to stay in shape, and to ready myself for the season. And there's one thing that I learned as I was playing pickup basketball. There is one type of player that you can just never trust. See, when the guy with the best and latest gear came in, the, the best new shoes, the, the, the arm and leg sleeves, the, the headband, the really good basketballs, the jerseys and the shorts walked in, and the guy who then also knew, so he had this gear, he knew everything that was going on in the NBA, and while talking to him, he would always throw out that friend that he knew who was playing at that high level. Those were the guys that you, you couldn't trust. Because what normally would happen, and I kid you not, what normally would happen is you would start to play with them, and then you would start to realize this dude couldn't even beat my grandma in a game of one-on-one. -on -one. But they dressed the part. They knew to talk the talk. And they knew that person who was playing the game. See, what I started calling these people. I wouldn't call it to their face, which, I, which, which definitely shows my, my own hypocrisy and judgmental attitude. But what I started thinking of these people and calling them in my head is that these are basketball hypocrites. It's really what they are. And we could go across the board and you could probably think of people in your own fields that dress the part, know the talk, know the people who are actually playing the game, but yet they themselves would rather sit on the sideline and critique from afar than actually get in the game themselves. See, and what I'm afraid of and what, what we're seeing in this passage is, is that it is far too common for people in the church to live like this. We, we know and see the people who look the part, who talk the part, and actually know somebody who is playing the part all the while just fooling themselves because they're never actually in the game. They're never actually living what they know. And so this is the question that we need to ask today. This is a, a question that the church during this pandemic should be asking, am I a hypocrite or a disciple? Because in our passage, what Jesus is, is really showing us is is what dead religion, hypocrisy, looks like and what a thriving relationship with him looks like, discipleship. We come to verses 1 through 3. It's on, on the heels of Jesus just pronouncing the six woes to the Pharisees. And, and so what he is doing is he's warning the disciples here. The disciples are to, to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
Leaven is used to make bread. It helps bread rise up. And when bread rises, you see it. It's not hidden, but it's visible. It's not covered up. And what we know from Scripture is that the Pharisees loved being seen by the world. The the Pharisees loved being greeted in the marketplace. They loved having the best seats in the synagogues. They loved being seen as the world, as having it all together. But last week, and a few verses above this in chapter 11 of Luke, Jesus calls them out and says, The outside of your bowls are clean, but you don't realize that if you were to look inside of these bowls, that you would see dirt and grease all over it. What Jesus is saying here to his disciples, and what Jesus is warning his disciples, is that everything that your heart and mouth utter in the darkness is going to be exposed. It's kind of like uh, right now, um, Haddon is in that stage where he knows that if he's doing something wrong, he'll look back and give us this really cute smirk. But if you've, if you've had kids or if you've watched your nieces or nephews, you know that that slowly turns away and they start trying to get away with things that you don't think that you see. <laughs> and so it's kind of like when you're watching a, a, a young kid do something that they're not supposed to do and they have no clue that you're watching them. And you kind of clear your throat <clears throat> and they turn around and they've got this surprised look on, look on their face. And you ask them what they're doing and immediately they say, I'm not doing anything, uh, uh, no, nothing at all. All the while you know that you've caught them and they know that you've caught them. Their wrongdoing has been exposed. And and so what Jesus is saying here is that the wrongdoing that is behind closed doors is not actually behind closed doors at all. The wrongdoing that's happening here will be exposed at some point. Everything done in the dark will be brought to the light. So the hypocrite in this case dresses the part And talks the talk. But what is the hypocrite doing behind closed doors? The hypocrite makes it seem as if they have it all together out in public. Only to go home and cuss out their family. The hypocrite talks the talk at Bible study. Or in front of peers only to go home and resent their wives and children. The the hypocrite goes to Sunday school only to disobey their parents. The hypocrite desires being seen as having it all together. But when trials of various kinds come, what they turn to is alcohol or pornography or just mindlessly watching TV. Jesus is warning his disciples of hypocrisy that so easily creeps up in the heart of people. But Jesus then goes on to encourage his disciples. He's encouraging his disciples 
to live a life worthy of the manner of the gospel. In verses 4 through 12, we get a glimpse of what true discipleship looks like. True discipleship always starts with the fear of God. Jesus knows what is to come. And so what we are seeing in these next verses is Jesus encouraging and telling his disciples, do not fear man. At best, or not best, it wouldn't be best to, to, to be murdered, but at worst, only, the only thing that a man can do to you is to kill your body. They can't kill you and then kill you again if you're already dead because you're already dead. The only thing that they can do is, is kill you. So don't fear man. Fear God. Because not only does not only does does God take you from this world, but he also has the authority to send you to hell. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, do not fear man, but fear God. Like an actual fear. Far too often we, we look at this, this fear as just reverence, just a, a respect. However, if we read the Old Testament, nowhere do we see that type of, of fear. Yes, we are to respect God, but we see people in the Old Testament when they have encounters with God actually trembling through fear. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to encourage his disciples all the more. He encourages them by telling them, are not, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them are forgotten before God? If God does not forget sparrows of this world, then he will not forget you. So not only do the disciples fear God, true discipleship starts with with fearing God, but it also acknowledges that, that my heavenly Father sees me and knows me. And Jesus says to the point that he knows how many hairs are on your head. It is an intimate and personal relationship that your God knows you, that he sees you, that he cares for you. And so true discipleship starts with fear, but it does not end with fear. It carries on. Because no one who is a true disciple and fears God and knows that God personally knows him and sees them will then deny Jesus in front of others. Jesus just flat out plainly tells us that if you deny me in front of people, I will deny you in front of the angels of God. Once again, Jesus, Jesus is completely aware of what is about to take place. He, he knows that Peter is about to go and, and preach a sermon in Acts. He knows that Peter and John are about to go before the council and boldly proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's preparing his disciples. He's equipping his disciples. We, we can't forget that Luke is writing this to Theophilus, giving it an orderly account so that way Theophilus can, can know what happened and then live a Christian life. Jesus is, is training his disciples for ministry for after he leaves. He, he knows what's to come. 
He knows that it would be easy for his disciples to fear man. He knows that it would be easy for his disciples to, um, to deny him. And so what he's doing is he's training his disciples. And so what does a disciple look like? What does a disciple look like in these verses? Does a disciple fear man or fear God? The disciple fears God. The disciple does not fear God solely in this reverence way, but actually trembles before God, knowing that God has the authority to send him to hell. The disciples tremble before God because they know that that this God is perfect and just and righteous and holy, and they are not. But the disciple knows that this God intimately cares for and knows them and loves them. And so, because this disciple fears God and knows that this God loves him, he does not deny God, but instead acknowledges him in front of others. The disciple fears God, loves God, and acknowledges God, even in front of those people that it's hard to do so, whether it's family members or friends or co-workers. And so as we continue on in this passage, as Jesus is, is preaching this sermon, some, some, uh, some man is, is bold enough to basically tattle on his, his brother, his older brother, to, to Jesus. And, and this older brother, or this younger brother, says to, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus isn't, a par, uh, 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 Jesus isn't here to be a mediator over family d- disputes. His man calls Jesus teacher out of respect, hoping that, that this might grant him his wish, that, that out of respecting him through this title, that, that Jesus would, would see that this man is, is respecting him and then say, okay, go uh, bring me your, your brother. But Jesus is having nothing to do with this. All this man wants to do is use Jesus for his gain. And Jesus knows this so Jesus goes on to tell this parable it's about a man who has so many crops that they no longer fit into his storehouse his his barn and so this man comes up with the the great idea of what I will do is I will tear down all of my storehouses and I'll build bigger ones there's a problem though Because this man is so consumed about filling up his barns with worldly possessions that he forgets and neglects his soul. And Jesus says, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In the parable, this this question comes up, whose will they be? These things that you worked for so hard, these, these barns that you built that are so big, whose will they be when you die? And the answer is, they're going to rot away. The crops that you stored and the hard work you did will be eaten by a hand that did not even work for them. And this is what the preacher in Ecclesiastes is, is warning about. He's warning the person who is never satisfied with the work that they're doing. The, the person who is always pushing for more, a, a, a bigger salary, a, a bigger house, a, a bigger car, a bigger boat, a bigger white picket fence. 
And the conclusion that the preacher in Ecclesiastes comes to is that you work for these things and yet you are never satisfied. And one day you will die and those possessions will go to somebody who won't really care about them. And so what does the hypocrite do? The hypocrite comes to Jesus demanding an easy life. The hypocrite comes to Jesus and says, I will call you teacher as long as you give me that job. You see, the hypocrite comes to Jesus and says, I will call you teacher as long as you give me that salary and nice cushy retirement. The hypocrite comes to Jesus and says, I will call you teacher as long as my life is comfortable and without hardships. The hypocrite comes to Jesus and says, I will call you teacher as long as you give me the American dream. But if you take any of those things from me or you don't give me, then I'm out. The hypocrite comes to Jesus for everything but Jesus. The man who lays up treasure for himself right now in this lifetime may enjoy it for 50 or 60 years. But when he enters eternity, he will be broke and poor, wishing that in his lifetime he would have been broken poor, but rich in Christ. Jesus, already assuming and knowing that the disciples are about to ask him about this parable, answers it for them. We know this because of the therefore that we see in verse 22. He already knows that the disciples are going to be asking him about food and their health and their clothing. And so Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. And he gives them these three areas where they could or they would be tempted to be anxious in. The first is food. He, he tells them about the ravens. Now the, the ravens were an unclean bird that, that Jews were not to eat. And so Jesus just asks them a few questions. Do these ravens reap? The answer is no. He asks them the next question. Do they have a, a pantry full of food? The answer is no. Then he asks them, but do they eat? And to that answer, yes. And you, being made in the image of God, are more valuable than these ravens. More important than these ravens. So of course, God would give you food. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago as we went through the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. God will give you exactly what you need each day, including food. And then question two comes, 
which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his life? Just, just one hour Jesus is asking for. Just one hour are you, any of you, able to add one single hour, 60 minutes to your life? I'm not asking for a whole day. I'm just asking for one hour. Okay, you can't do that. I know you can't do that. And so since you can't do that, why are you anxious about the rest of your life? Why are you anxious about the next hour? Your, your days have been numbered. I have numbered your days. So don't worry about the next hour. Just be present with where you are at right now. Be in this moment. So since you cannot add another hour to your life, don't worry about the next hour. Just worry about now. And finally, Jesus tells them to look at the lilies the lilies they are so beautiful they neither toil nor spin for their clothes and yet what he says is they are far more beautiful than even the best clothing that king solomon the richest and most dapper man that has ever lived could ever wear or afford and yet the, the, the lilies are more beautiful than, than what he has worn. And if the lilies do not toil or spin for their clothing, and they're just lilies, and God is the one who clothes them, then how much more would he clothe you? What Jesus is doing here is encouraging his disciples to fight against the anxiousness that will arise out of their heart. But why is this? Because our hearts are, are prone to consumerism. And far too often we are consumed with consuming that we don't realize that our consuming is actually causing us our anxiousness. Jesus knows that in their hearts the disciples are prone to be worried about food and their body and their clothing. And so he's telling them, you don't have to be anxious. I, I have the medicine. Jesus goes on to say, don't, don't seek what you will eat or drink or be worried. Why? Because God already knows that you need that. He knows that the nations need food to eat to survive. He knows that the nations need drink and water to survive. He knows what is next. He has planned your steps. And so what are the disciples to do? Jesus tells them, but they are to seek the kingdom of God. And by seeking the kingdom of God, these things will be given to you. And not only will these things be given to you, but you will be given a treasure in heaven. And so what is the medicine that Jesus then gives them for, uh, for fighting against this anxiousness or curing them of this anxiousness? It's, it's actually kind of strange, but it's, it's right here. He tells them, so sell your possessions and give to the needy. So why do we do this? Why is this the medicine? Well, because Jesus gave up his heavenly riches. He gave up his throne to come and dwell with us. To be with 
the needy. He gave the needy the most incredible inheritance ever. Jesus then leaves his disciples with with one last warning. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is your heart seeking the kingdom? Is your heart seeking the king? Because if so, then the king will have your treasure. And as Peter tells us in 1 Peter, this treasure is imperishable, unfading, and everlasting. What Jesus is is basically saying here is, is this. Your anxiousness comes from consuming food, worrying about your health, and worrying about the clothes that you will wear. And so if you want to fight against this anxiousness and and worry, then give up your resources. Give up your time. Give up your wisdom to the poor and the needy. Because those who do that are those who are seeking after the kingdom and who have submitted themselves to the king. And he tells us that those who give up their earthly riches will gain a heavenly treasure. And so how does the disciple fight against greed and consumerism? So let's just, let's take this pandemic that's going on. If we just look at this right here, these verses 22 through 34, and, and, we, and we said, okay, if, if the disciples were living in our time and Jesus told them to do this, what would a disciple look like during this pandemic? Do you think a a disciple of of Jesus, according to this passage, would go out to the store and stock up their storehouse by getting as much food and toilet paper and clothes and cleaning supplies for themselves? Or would the disciples, according to this passage, first think to themselves, how can I help take care of the needy and poor? Because I know my Father is going to provide for me. I know my Father has food for me. I know my Father has numbered my days and I know my Father will clothe me. The disciples that Jesus is explaining here is first asking, how can I give? Knowing that God will provide for them. And so this is how I would like to conclude this morning. I want to ask that question again. And I want you to take time to reflect on this question as well. Am I a hypocrite or am I a disciple? What we're seeing right here is that the hypocrite in verses 1 through 3 dress the part but then behind closed doors do things that they know they shouldn't. The disciple does not deny God. The disciple in verses 4 through 12 they 
They acknowledge and fear and love God and they do not deny God. The, the hypocrite is only out to use Jesus in verses 13 through 21 to get something from Jesus, not just to have Jesus. And the disciple in verses 22 through 34 flee consumerism and anxiousness by giving what they have. So am I a disciple or a hypocrite? And maybe you're thinking, well, I, I don't think I'm really, really living the life like a disciple and, and, um, and I'm not really hitting the bar of, of what I've been called to do. So what that means is that you are a hypocrite. And so am I. Because there is no perfect disciple. So yeah, I guess I kind of tricked you guys. But, but there's no, no such thing as a perfect disciple. We're all hypocrites. And if you think you're a perfect disciple, then you're actually a narcissist. Well, that's not really encouraging, Max. Yeah, I, I know that. But, but here is, is the, the perfect thing, is, is this. Where is the gospel in this passage? Where is the hope in this passage? Well, if we look to verses 4 and 7, what we see is that we're told not to fear man, but to fear God. And yet, all of the disciples leave Jesus out of fear that they would be the next one taken. In verses 8 through 12, we are told to acknowledge Christ before men. And yet, what we see is that when Peter is confronted, Peter denies Jesus not just once, but three times. We are told in verses 13 through 21 not to worry about money, but yet Matthew was a tax collector who was all about money. And in verses 22 through 34, we are told not to be anxious, and yet Paul was maybe the most anxious man in Scripture that we see. No one is perfect except God. That's the point. And that's an amazing truth because when Jesus came, Jesus came fearing no man. When Jesus was confronted, he did not deny that he was the Son of God. Jesus did not come to be served, but instead he came to serve. And when Jesus was in the garden, sorrowful to the point of death, sorrowful to the point that he is bleeding, uh, he is sweating blood, it does not say that he was anxious, but instead that he trusted his Father's will. Jesus perfectly lived this out for us. Jesus perfectly lived a life that, that we just aren't able to live because of our, our, our sinful nature. Jesus did this to redeem us. Jesus did this so that poor and needy sinners could receive an inheritance. And this inheritance is extended to both you and I through repentance and faith in Jesus. But this is why hypocrisy is so crucial to the church because when we are hypocrites, it belittles the gospel and the power of saving faith. So this is how I would like to leave us this morning. 
yes, you're a hypocrite and I'm a hypocrite. We're not perfect. However, Paul tells us in Romans 6 that we shouldn't continue to sin so that grace may abound. God doesn't save you so that you can stay the same. He calls you to continue to be renewed and transformed by the gospel. And this means fighting against the hypocrisy that is in our hearts. And so last night while I was thinking through this, I just, I, I, was, I was in bed, Sharice was reading a book and I just had to chuckle because I, I thought to myself, you know, fighting hypocrisy is actually a lot easier than we think. So how do we fight hypocrisy? Just do what Jesus commands us. Just do it. It's actually that easy. We just, we just do it and we trust him. And if I can be so, so bold and honest with us this morning, the times in my life when I've fought against hypocrisy and I've just done what the word of God commands me to do, those are some of the most exhilarating and amazing times because God works. Those are the times when I've flourished and I've seen God at work the most. And so right now, as a church, as a universal church, we're at a crossroads. Because during this pandemic, the church can either pursue discipleship and caring for the needy and the poor. Or we can continue to just build up our storehouses. This is a de defining moment for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We, we thank you for the ample amounts of encouragement that it shows us. We, we thank you that we don't have to fear men, that we can fear you and not only fear you, but we can also know that you know us intimately and personally. That because of that, we don't have to deny your, your son Jesus, but instead we can proclaim him knowing for sure what he has done. That our, our hope isn't in our possessions that will rot and fade and, and, and where moth will eat it, but instead our hope is in something that will never fade, that will never perish. We have a, a treasure that is far more glorious than anything this world has to offer. And because of that, we don't have to be anxious because if you care even about the lilies and the birds, if you've never forgotten one bird that has ever existed, you will not forget about one of your image bearers. And so what I pray for us as a, as a church this morning is that you would put a deep desire in our hearts to fight against the hypocrisy and to pursue a Christian lifestyle of obedient discipleship according to your word. That we would fight against every urge and ounce to disobey what your word says and that we would fight together as a church to live for you, our great and mighty King. It is in your Son, Jesus' name, whose name is above every name, who one day every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and 
and tongue confess that, that he is Lord over all. Amen.